Named after the road that led to it, Bogger Road Jail dominated the Brisbane skyline for 109 years. Bogger Road had the infamous Black Peter cells, dark cells and the gallows. There are many creepy tales of ghostly warders on duty and inmates that still wander through the corridors. Over a hundred people died while being held prisoner at Bogo Road, many of them as suicides and the occasional murder. We offer a warning that some of the content in this episode will involve subjects that are of very dark nature and may not be suitable for sensitive young ears. Be warned... Boggo Road Jail has a history of evil that still has the ability to affect you today. Welcome to this week's episode of the True Hauntings Podcast. I'm Anne Rekovich. And I'm Renata Daniel. And we invite you to listen to the gory stories of Boggo Road Jail. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. The dark cell is a building below the level of the ground. You go down a flight of steps into it. There are, in fact, two cells. One to the right of the stairs, one to the left. Not a ray of light of any description can enter. There are double doors and bare walls and floor. It is full of fleas and has a kind of dungeon atmosphere about it, not easily described. 24 ounces of bread and two quarts of water is the allowance for 24 hours. This is put in at noon of each day, and for seven days, that is the only indication you have of what time is. We walls know something about what seven days in the black hole is. A man we recollect got seven days. He told us afterwards something like this, I tried to make out my my case before the visiting justice but the evidence was on the other side smarting with the injustice of the sentence I could have murdered anyone who touched me 24 hours was endurable but it was summertime and the heat grew intolerable on the second day or sometime before the bread and water came round for the second time I drank all the water straight off in the first half hour and was soon raging with thirst again. I tried to keep still and quiet, but it was no use. Imagination soon began to work. I felt loathsome. Reptiles crawl over me and yelled with fright at their clammy touch. I saw the hangman with his ghastly face trying to catch hold of me. 
I felt from corner to corner of the narrow cell. I shouted at the top of my voice for assistance and prayed to be let out. I fought with the wall and fell down bruised and helpless in the effort. The momentary exhaustion passed, and again I wrestled with the hangman and his crew. I suffered all the tortures of uncontrollable thirst and finally lost consciousness. How long unconsciousness lasted, I have no idea. There was another day's ration in the cell when I once more became aware of my locality, and the day after there came another ration. So long as prisoners ramp and rave in the dark cell, it is all right. They can stay in, but it is too quiet now. And on the fifth day, they investigated the cell. I don't know much about that investigation, but it was conceded that I had had enough of the black hole. And so I had, for then and always. So that uh, soundscape today came from the Bogo Road Road Jail website from 1883 and describes the aspects of life in the HM Brisbane. Brisbane. Uh, And it's thought that this uh, Petri Terrace, it was called, closed in July 1883 and was superseded by by the Bogo Road Jail. So this is just sort of showing the foundations and the horror of the land and the environment that this jail has been built on. But to go into that a little bit more, I'm going to hand over to you, Renata. Oh, thank you, Anne. In the 1850s, the district where the jail was subsequently located was unofficially known as Bogo, and by 1860, the track through the area was known as Bogo Road. Now, there are many different reasonings as to why it's called Bogo Road, Um, I love the one that tells us that it was named after the fact that when it rained and rained, the road would get... Boggy. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's so Australian. We're very good at naming roads like that, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, back in the 1800s, it would still be horse and cart or um, oxen Mm -hmm. bringing things up to the the jail and so it was very very difficult to get up there in the boggy the boggy the boggy oh was that the buggy that they had trouble getting up there or the boggy (laughs) it was very difficult getting up there in the buggy on the boggy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so they called it boggo road now another theory is that boggo or bloggo or bolgo was a corruption of an Aboriginal word word meaning two leaning trees. And uh, there are actually two leaning trees around that area. Oh, fancy there being two leaning trees somewhere near the bush. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, These two prominent trees are either at one mile swamp um, or what is now known Wilkins Street off Annerley Road for anyone that lives up around that area. Uh, another possibility is that Bogo Road was an unofficial and unmaintained shortcut uh, between Ipswich Road and Stanley Street that became very boggy after rain. And, of course, shortcuts were everywhere in the bush in those days. And uh, Bogo Road was 
officially renamed Annerley Road in 1903, but the, the term Boggo Road for the jail um, stayed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They all liked it because we love that sort of stuff here. It's a very schmick little area now. We've got yeah. lots of restaurants nearby yeah. and things, yeah. Yeah, like you said, we're really good with names. Yeah. Right? We call the Blue Mountains the Blue Mountains because yeah. they're blue. And um, generally, if there's a town that has a main street through it, we call it Main Street. Main street. <laughs> and yeah. then we have the other streets coming off it, which would be First Street, Second Street, <laughs> Third Street. My yep. daughter lives in Ninth Street. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, in 1863, the land off Boggo Road was actually set aside as a government reserve and proclaimed a jail in 1880, the first cell block opened up on July the 2nd, 1883, as normal. Takes a lot of time to build the foundations for a jail like that and especially Mm -hmm. the brick walls that go around it. Yes, so we found with our Maitland jail. Yes, yes. Now, it was built by Robert Porter and contained 57 cells and was constructed using the old demolished jail on Petrie Terrace. Which is what which my is, soundscape was talking about. There soundscape. we go. Oh, I like yep. it when we tie it all in together. So in 1903, there was a new prison that was built to hold female prisoners. Um, and in the notes that I did have that disappeared, I read that there weren't too many female prisoners in those early days. Oh, so no, because females were fabulous. They never did anything wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> They just disobeyed their husbands. Or they couldn't be caught. (laughs) And um, they were transferred to the old hospital building. Now, out the front, because I've been to Boggo Road Jail, um, and when you walk up to the facade at the front, they've got this beautiful um, sort of brick facade. And then they've got the date at the top. And then off centre, it has men, Mm -hmm. men's prison. Mm Mm-hmm. And it it looks odd because it's like, why wouldn't they put it so it was all lined up nice and neatly? Mm-hmm. And there is a reason for that mm. because it used to say women's. women's prison. So they just chiseled off the W and the O. Oh, <laughs> my it like, gosh. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's recycling. I like it. Reuse it. Yeah. So the new prison uh, is or well, became known as Number 2 Division. Uh, and is now the only section still standing and is mm. listed uh, in the Queensland State Heritage Re- Register. So thank goodness we've got that. Yeah. Yeah. The number one division was built in 1883 and that was the scene of 42 hangings. 42? 42 hangings. That's a lot. Uh, and that included the hanging of Ernest Austin in mm. 1913. Talk about him. Which was the last execution in Queensland. Yes, there's a bit of a ghost story. Oh, there is. Mm. He, he's my grand finale for my mm. little part. Mm-hmm. Your grand finally. <laughs> the new prison was built around the perimeter of number one prison during the 1960s and the number one prison was demolished, leaving an area that was an oval and uh, it became a recre- re- recreational area and facilities for the new prison that had cold running water and toilet facilities in the cells. Now, you have to remember that before that, they pooed in a bucket. And they peed in a bucket. And they peed in the bucket, same bucket. And I have an original prison bucket. Now, isn't that something to brag about? I know, right? Ooh. If uh, We need to put a, an SB11 in there. and <laughs> See if it says poo. 
No, it might I, say, get me out of here. <laughs> I, I bought an original prison poo bucket on, on auction. Is that what it's listed as, a poo bucket? Um, no. <laughs> can we? But, can I just say something? Yeah. Can we put your SB11 in the... <laughs> In the poo bucket, it's not ve- mine. It's very clean. It's got a lid. Oh, that's supposed to make me feel better. It's got a lid. Faraday cage. There it's you go. A, it's a fabulous trigger object. Oh, it is. We've only bought it in once to Maitland Joe. I think we should use it more often. All right. Well, we'll, we'll hook up our headphones experiment to it. I'll put the SB11 into the bucket with the wires coming out and we'll see what happens. Right. So under the oval was the facility that became known as the black hole and I'm sure you've got stories about this too, where the prisoners were subjected to that vile punishment where they would be put into this place that was darker than dark. And people that have ever experienced darker than dark know what I'm talking about We've actually got a cell like that at the old Dubbo jail. Yes. And it's freaky. pitch black. And, like, you don't even have to close the door. You just walk in and walk around the corner into that cell and it's dark. Mm. And this is during the day. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, because the walls are so thick, there's no sound as well. Mm. So the only sound you hear is the beating of your heart. Mm. And your own thoughts rattling and around in your that's head. That's right. That's right. So you can imagine how um, prisoners would go in angry and come out insane. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, I have a, a little bit of a story because they mentioned the black hole, but they also mentioned the black Peter cells, mm-hmm. which are also like black cells. Right. I was wondering about the black Peter. I thought, dare I ask? Yeah. Because if we mention 11 inches again, she might go <laughs> off. <laughs> don't. Don't start me. Oh, my oh God. she's gone bright red. Oh, no. I think she's been watching videos during the week. Uh, but... Do you know where Black Peter comes from or the name Black Peter? Is it something to do with gunpowder or something? No. What? I so hope this story is true. I really hope this story is true. I'll just make it up. Go for it. Please, if you know more, send us some information. Send us some information. And now I know what we were going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, To do with the gyro ghost. We might actually um, put that right at the end of this podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But anyway, um, Black Peter actually comes from the fact that a long, long time ago when they told. (laughs) When the Holy Bible said. We're close. Okay. When they used to tell stories about Santa Claus, Santa Claus had an offsider. Hang on. Are you comparing Jesus' story to Santa Claus? No, no, no. no. Let me go. Santa Claus had an offsider and Mm -hmm. Santa Claus's offsider was called Black Peter. Right. And you know why he was called Black Peter. Oh, please, no. This is going to be very inappropriate. <laughs> just please remember, this is from a time gone by. This is We're just repeating a story from a time gone by. I'm dreading the answer. And she's lost it. She's got the giggles. We may never find out about Black Peter. I thought it was something to do with um, fireworks, but, you know. <laughs> what was it, Renata? No. No, is it the obvious that we thought it was? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's a relief. <laughs> Sorry, people. Uh, they used to put he or he used to go down the chimney first and clean it out. <laughs> so he used to send Black Peter down. He'd clean the chimney out of the ashes. So really, his and name so- was Peter, and he came out black. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, he was covered in soot and blackness. I have tears rolling down my oh, face. Oh, you fogging up too. <laughs> <laughs> he had, yeah, and so. Wow, he, I'm so relieved. <laughs> Just so relieved right and, now. <laughs> but fancy putting that together with the, the black cells, the black cells. Yeah. And so they'd call it oh, obviously an English thing. Yeah, must be. Um, but, yeah. Sorry, people. I thought you'd love that as as a piece of. Um, She's wiping her eyes, which is why she sort of went muffled yeah, then. As as a piece of history, but there you go. So yeah, when you talk about the dull, d- the dark cells, mm-hmm. think of Black Peter. Here we go. The jail was originally designed to cater for forty male prisoners, serving as a holding place for prisoners heading to Saint Helen- Helena Island. Helena Island. Mm-hmm. We have to do a podcast about that as well yeah, okay. in Moreton Bay. But, however, by 1989, there were 187 male prisoners and the women's facility had around 200 additional prisoners. So, really, both jails for men and women were only supposed to cater for a small number. It exploded out over time. So there were protests at the jail during the 1970s and, you know, the inmates took hunger strikes, Uh, they had rooftop protests, they rioted about the conditions and the treatment, and the prison was constantly in the headlines. Uh, It became known as the most notorious prison in Australia, but I dare say that it would have been the Mm. most notorious and horrendous prison in Australia ever since it opened. Yeah. Cells in the number two prison didn't have any form of sanitation or facilities for washing. And this is in the 1970s. Oh, in the so, 70s. So they really treated people there very cruelly, although most of you might say that they deserved it. So prisoners were still required to use a bucket through the evening for toilet breaks and slop it out or empty it, as they, they oh. say, in the morning. And I gather they were sharing cells as well. Mm-hmm. The mixing of poop. So the Queensland government got uh, into an inquiry into the living conditions of the state prisons and found that the jail at Boggo Road was absolutely outdated and inadequate for the prisoners' needs. And so number two division was closed in 1989. Now, number one division didn't last long after that. It was closed in 1992 and was demolished in 1996. So only a small section uh, of what was C5 and the guard tower now remain. The women's prison operated all the way up until the year 2000. Oh, wow. And was finally demolished in 2006. So there is now a home to the Boggo Road Jail Museum, which sits in what's left of Number 2 Division, and it has some prison artefacts there. And um, through the 1990s, ex-officers came in and they held guided tours on the site. And uh, from 2003... The museum and tours were operated by Boggo Road Jail Historical Society and since December 2012, Boggo Road Jail became a tourist attraction for Queensland uh, with many guided tours and ghost tours being run there. But we found or I found very little information available 
online. Uh, there is a book that you can purchase about the history of Bogo Road Jail, and it is written by Jack Sim, and Jack Sim seems to be the, the fellow who has... He's the go-to person for yes. all information on Bogo Road Jail. Absolutely. And I struggled as well. Now, he has written a book called The Ghosts of Bogo Road Jail. I'm sure it's called The Ghosts of. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do the ghost tour, everyone is gifted uh, one of these little books. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like Monte Cristo. They, they gift you the little ghost story book. Well, I went there three years ago. Do you think I can find the bloody book? <laughs> I was sure I had it somewhere and I couldn't find it. So what I did is I I, um, I struggled to find information as well. Mm. And now, are you still going with the history? Um, just a, a few things. As, as I said, um, 42 people were hanged at the jail. There is still a gallows beam that exists uh, and the beam itself says, gallows beam, many noted criminals were hanged on this beam at Bogo Road Jail, Brisbane. Mm -hmm. So very similar to that beam that we hear about at the Skirred Inn. Ah, Mm -hmm. yes. And look, they've had people in that jail from... um, Michael Peterson, who was an Australian surfing legend, Wayne Michael Ryan, who was convicted multiple bank robber who tried to escape from Bogo Road twice, um, Ernest Slim Halliday, Arthur Ernest Slim Halliday, who murdered a taxi driver, 42, like I said, 42 prisoners hanged. Uh, the only woman to be hung in Queensland was also hanged at the jail. Uh, and all of them were really for murder. Uh, You're doing very got, well with your hanged and your hungs, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we've got uh, a few uh, rape mm-hmm. um, convictions that were hanged in the earlier days, but most of the later ones, or literally all of the later ones, for were for committing murder. The last one here, Ernest Austin, uh, was hanged for the rape and murder of 11-year-old Ivy Mitchell at Cedar Creek. Yes, and I've got a whole story about that, uh, which I found in the newspaper. So don't you steal that one on me. That's an interesting one. It's a very interesting one because there is a lot of contradictory stories that are going on about his... um, his Mental state. No, his execution. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I heard about his mental state and him being taken over by the devil. But anyway. Yeah, excuse me. Get off my stories. <laughs> I'll let you go. I'll, oh, let, I'll now, let you run you, with it. You've taken I'll the let, good story. No, no, That's no, no, it. No. I'm done. I'll, I'll let you run with it. <sighs> All right. So um, what I ended up doing was I listened to the Bogo Jails website official um, podcast that they had on the ghosts there, and that was Jack Sims talking to one of the tour guide, Sam. Uh, I also... I looked at Jeff Belanger's Most Haunted Places books. Uh, I got into the Trove newspapers. I found interviews with Jack Sims. There was a another article on the occultworld.com and the paranormalguide.com. And I've gathered up all the information I could to try and give you a, an idea. And, and this is listed as one of the most haunted places in the world. It's mm-hmm. in Jeff Belanger's book mm-hmm. as one of the most haunted places in the world. Mm-hmm. There's another podcast called Haunted Places. Mm-hmm that um, tells it as a story. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of stories on that podcast if anyone's interested, and uh, I'll listen to that one. Now, as I said, the, mo- the most notorious ghost there is Ernest Austin, but I'm going to go to him last, uh, and I'll start off with just some general ghost stories that uh, have been reported. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if 
say you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap, read a book, or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get better help. Visit betterhelp.com p60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's better help h-e-l-p dot com slash p60 it's time to take control of your life dave's here rooting you on and if i can do this you can do this let's do this together betterhelp.com slash p60 there's a link for it on today's program guide now the the jail itself was what's left of it was sort of saved by uh, a jail warden guard, whatever you call them, called John Banks and two other former guards. They were the ones that sort of saved Division 2 and made it into a museum. Now, John started work there at nine, or in 1972 and uh, he had seen, he's heard Waters laughing about the stories about the ghosts, but he also has his own stories. But let me just tell you that it is also used, right, the jail's used for tours, for film shoots, for weddings and private functions, mm-hmm. but they don't like you to investigate with paranormal equipment. Oh. Now, there was a, um, what's the girls' ghost group that we've got here in Australia? Australia Down Under. Yeah. They um, booked a private uh, tour, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, of the jail, and they were talking to Jack Sims as they went around, and um, they were allowed to go in there with their cameras, mm-hmm. Uh, and recorders, but they weren't allowed to use any paranormal technology. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right, so the first time Banks heard about the ghosts of Boggo Road Jail was shortly after he started work there in the 1970s. He said that they had offices there that you'd have to relieve at 2am in the morning because they just didn't want to be there anymore. They'd turn around and be white as a sheet and said, I've just seen a ghost. So you'd have to move them away from that particular spot and put them somewhere else. They've had officers that have seen ghosts walking around and they'll see a person walk by when they know quite well that they're the only one in that area. Mm-hmm. There is supposedly a, uh, a ghost of a guard there. Uh, there was a, a guard killed in 1966 and they think that this is the officer Bernard Ralph who was the only officer ever killed there. And he had his head smashed in by a prison prisoner wielding a heavy metal bar. Mm. 
I just had a cold rush all the way from the bottom of my spine to the top of my head. Oh, now you passed it to me. Thanks for that. Now, interestingly, in Jeff Belanger's book, they said that the name was withheld as the family was still living in the area. But in one of the other ones, they quite proudly said his name. So Mm. I just thought it was a little interesting thing. Uh... Now, we go on to Sims, uh, Jack Sim. Is it Sim or Sims? Jack Sim. Sim. Uh, he has seen a spectre on his ghost tours of Bogo Road. Uh, he's seen the, the prisoner of the prison, prison officer walking the grounds of Number 2 Division. Uh, now, they, they also talk about this area around the outside of the prison blocks, and it's sort of like where a they big put, tunnel. Well, no, it's this gravel. Oh, it's gravel. Yeah, mm-hmm. they put this area that is all gravel, and the idea is you can't walk quietly on gravel. Mm-hmm. So if anyone was trying to escape, mm-hmm. you would hear them in this area. And it's like I think they call it no man's land or mm-hmm. dead man's land because they can shoot you dead from there. Uh, but uh, they hear people's footsteps walking across. And this is one of the areas I do remember. It was very eerie. I didn't see any ghosts there, but um, they they tell the ghost stories in each area. And I think I had Sam as my tour guide. He was brilliant. Mm-hmm. He was really good. So as you were saying, the the old buildings there and the cell and the furniture sort of... It, it's a very rigid, harsh lifestyle that they had to live there. And the prisoners were forced into, into submission, others into madness and suicide, and some were lucky to get out at the end with their lives, but mm, yeah. probably never the same again. So you imagine the the horror and the torment that has seeped into every mm-hmm. piece of that structure. There is one documented ghost encounter in 1970 when a prison officer saw what he referred to as a big, white, shapeless mass on the top of the dividing wall of the exercise yard in the old Number 1 division. It was in the early hours of the morning and the officer claimed the white mass slid off the wall and disappeared into the darkness. The spot where he saw the ghost was just behind a wing where the gallows used to be. Mm-hmm. The prison officer asked for a transfer to Townsville <laughs> Jail, and who could blame them? <laughs> now, I've, uh, I read somewhere that they actually transported the old gallows from the Petrie Terrace site mm-hmm. to the new yard when the jail opened, and the first hanging there was a triple hanging. Three at once. Mm. Oh, wow. Oh, God, I hope they didn't do them one at a time because you imagine being the next one waiting oh, to go. They that probably would... did them one at a time, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, and then they've mentioned here about the it's impossible to walk on the gravel without making lots of crunching noises. Mm-hmm. Guards have reported seeing darting shadows and other ghosties. Uh and the, the guards avoid doing the night shift if possible. And there are some screws that even refuse, just flatly refuse to do the night shift. Uh, and they would do anything to swap onto a different night. They just didn't want to have anything to do with it because it was so terrifying. But then on the other hand, if you did speak to the guards about the ghosts there, and mm-hmm. this has happened to us at Maitland Jail as mm-hmm. well, they'll scoff and yep. say there are no ghosts. Yep. Yep. They need to keep tough and be tough even though they've probably seen something, mm-hmm. they won't admit it. Nope. Now, I've got some prisoner stories here as well. So we've done the guards. Mm-hmm. Let's get on to the prisoners. Now, uh, I heard this on the um, podcast. 
Now, we have in Maitland Jail, we have sweeper cells. Yes. Yep. Yep. So they were the cells that were given to the most trusted people in the jail because they had to handle implements. They'd have brooms and things like mm-hmm. that, which and they were normally the long-termers that would have that, and then they would have subordinates underneath them, mm-hmm. but it was a very trusted job. So there was one of these sweepers, and he was one of the old fellows that had been there for a long time, and uh, he was talking about how he used to set up um, – a little trap on where the old uh, scaffold was. And apparently this scaffold had been welded shut and could no longer open, but the prisoners at night would hear it dropping open. Mm -hmm. So he set up this little thing where he put matches into the grooves around the where it had been welded shut. Mm -hmm. So it couldn't physically fall out. It's welded shut. He would come out the next day and those matches would be on the ground as if they had fallen through. Oh. Isn't that cool? Oh, I got goosebumps on it. I gave myself goosebumps. Now, that prisoner actually wished to remain anonymous. Mm. Mm. Now, there is the ghost of a woman that is reported there. She is seen upstairs in the number two division, greyish white. <gasps> Could be you, Renata. <laughs> Can't be two places at once. <laughs> um, so she's often seen up the top there staring down. Various people have seen it. Um, they don't actually use it as part of their tour, but they've had so many people who have actually witnessed it that sometimes it will be brought up on their tour and they'll say, oh, yes, that, that is the, the woman that you know people will talk about. Now, they think it could be Ellen Thompson. There is a, a photo in the exhibit that they've got at the, the museum which matched the description of what people have reported and she was executed there. Mm-hmm. The only woman to be executed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's been seen during the day and the night but then you, that makes you wonder, have they been into the exhibit beforehand and seen that mm-hmm. and it's subconsciously sitting with them? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe not at all. Now the interesting thing with her as well is that she wasn't executed in that area or that building. She would never have been in that area. So why is she there? Uh, although they did say that female officers had a similar looking outfit to the one that she was described in dark clothes with an apron over the top. So maybe it could have been one of the, the female warders mm-hmm. or maybe it could have been the matron who had worked there for five years and she had to give up her job, which she loved, mm-hmm. because of illness. So maybe she's come back there in death. Who knows? There was a male officer that saw a, a short, older, petite woman upstairs in D-Wing at the time when no females were there and the woman was wearing black. So there's this woman in black that seems to appear all over the place. So they're definitely wandering around. Mm. They, might, they might be ghosts that are associated with the jail itself, but they're not necessarily in one spot, mm-hmm. so not in a cell or not. In a corridor, they they seem to wander around. Yeah, they and this is one of the arguments that's used with the the last um, inmate that I'll get onto. But um, are ghosts stuck to their particular location or building, or is that only a residual energy that will keep showing up in that particular location? And if they're intelligent, mm-hmm. they can move around. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get on to my favourite ghost. Okay. Tripod. Oh, tripod. You heard of tripod? No. <laughs> She's got a worried look uh, on her face. Hold on. Let's, I'm going to strap yep. myself in. Yeah, Here we go. Up for this one. During a night tour, a visitor felt something brush past her leg. No. Mm-hmm. Looking down, 
she saw a black and white three-legged cat walk Not away. <laughs> gotcha. you got a dirty mind, Renata. <laughs> Upon inquiring with the guard um, about the experience, they recognised the description as belonging to Tripod the Cat, which had made itself at home in the prison in the 1970s. Now, apparently this is a real cat that was living mm-hmm. there. Um he got hurt in the riots that were there and oh, lost no. his leg. Uh, and one of the prisoners there used to look after him and he was well loved by the inmates. And he is a cat that is commonly seen there. I love this. I've got goosebumps. Uh, so he was a three-legged cat, cared by the prisoner, lost his jail, a leg in a jail riot. He died when he was about 15 years old. And guests can feel the cat rubbing against their leg. They can hear him meowing. And, of course, Jack has seen Tripod. Uh, Didn't realise what it was at the time. And he was – there's this little garden area when you walk through the the main gates and there's a garden to the right and to the left. Uh, And the Tripod is actually buried Mm -hmm. in the garden. I think it's the one on the right. Now, Jack heard this rustling in the tree and something – leapt, sort of dashed out past him this blur. He went to go and look to see what it was and couldn't find what it was. Uh, And it was only after he sort of thought about it, he realised it might have been tripod Mm -hmm. because apparently he used to have this way of bounding that uh, was well known. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Dan, who used to look after him, had described this sort of bounding. And it was on the same side the cat was buried. Wow. Yeah. And they, they proudly point out the fact, oh, that's where Tripod's buried. And I'm like, oh, that's just so lovely. Anyway. So, mm-hmm. I don't actually have any ghost stories about the black hole or whatever it was. What did you call it? Black Peter? The, sorry? Yeah. I, I can't find anything. It's it's really odd. But, I mean, that was the jail before, the Boggo Road jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stories do come from Jack Sims. Sim, sorry, which made me start to get a little bit sort of suspicious if they're running the ghost tours there and he's the one that's got all the ghost stories. But I will get into that a little bit later. Okay. I'm going to get on to my grand finale, which is Ernest Austin, the last person executed in Queensland. He was hung, hanged. I've got to get right, Mm -hmm. for the rape and murder of 11-year-old Ivy Mitchell. And it is said by some that he mocked the witnesses at his execution, stating that he would return from the grave. Now, this is where we get different reports of what happened at this particular hanging, Mm -hmm. yeah, hanging. Hanging, hanging. Hanging, hanging. So the Brisbane Courier reports it as... I ask you all to forgive me. I ask the people of Sanford to forgive me. I ask my mother to forgive me. May you all live long and die happy. God save the king. God save the king. God be with you all. Send a wire to my mother and tell her I died happy, won't you? Yes, tell her I died happy with no fear. Goodbye all. Goodbye all. And then was hung. That sounds like absolute bullshit to me. Ah. <sighs> Then we get the old-timers. Now, the old-timers who were there report what happened. Yep. They reckoned he laughed and he said she loved it, referring to his victim. She enjoyed it, referring to the way that 
of what he did to her. And I would do it again if I could. Stories tell of him laughing hysterically while being hanged and managed to slip out one last giggle out before he died. Now, apparently this laughter can still be heard around the prison and he is often seen shrieking and laughing like a banshee at you from the upper floors. And it is also said that he made a pact with the devil. Mm -hmm. Now, he had to gather a certain amount of souls Mm -hmm. so that he could enter hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's the story. Even the devil didn't want him and set a very high amount of souls that he had to collect which he is still trying to collect to this day. So he is said to haunt Division 2, and at night prisoners hear him walking around footsteps that stop in front of the cell. And if the ghost heard a noise, he would enter into the cell and kill them, collecting their soul. Mm -hmm. Prisoners stated that also, if they saw the face of Austin at their cell door, before entering, he would then come in and torment them because they had seen him. Guards may find people dead in their beds, and the prisoners would say, It was Ernie. Because Ernie had to keep gathering those souls to get his quotas worth. But even Hell didn't want Ernie because he was just too bad. Now, I found a newspaper article. From the Truth, mm-hmm. dated uh, from Sunday the 9th of April 1950. Mm-hmm. I would like to read you some of this. Mm-hmm. Now, it is this is the one that I just wanted to put the warning in about because it is quite graphic. But they have said that at the time of his death, a banshee wailed at Old Bogger Jail. Now, is this the mix-up of him cackling as he was dying mm-hmm. in his insanity? Or was it truly a banshee? But let me read you this story. I'll, I'll, I'll just read part of it. It may go for a little bit, but it's really fascinating. It's titled, A Banshee Wailed at Bogo Road. Eerie cry at hanging of murderer of Samford Child. Shrill and stunningly sudden. Supernatural, perhaps, was the cry which penetrated like an arrow the heavy brooding calm which prevailed the execution yard of Brisbane Prison on the morning of September 22nd, 1930, as Ernest Austin, the last man to be hanged in Queensland, was about to hurtle to his doom through a gallows trapdoor. It was, perhaps, the screech of a bird, Perhaps it was the cry of a child hurt at play in a nearby yard. Or perhaps it was a spiritual shriek from beyond the grave. A spine-chilling, ethereal acknowledgement that Austin's little girl victim was being avenged and justice was being done. At all events, to those pressmen and jail officials whose grim duty it was to witness the execution, the cry which echoed and re-echoed through the penitentiary while Austin stood on the scaffold, was the most nerve-wracking and perplexing emotion it is possible for a man to experience. Various explanations were put forward in the press at the time to account for the 
phenomena, but the question remained, was it a bird or child or the departed victim of a fiendish murderer's lust? Now, it goes on a little bit about the crime here, and I just want people to understand how vile this man was. The crime for which Ernest Austin was hanged was perpetrated in the small farming district of Sanford near Brisbane, in the vicinity of the old Parker State School. It was a crime of extraordinary ferocity and callousness, as could be judged from the disturbed nature of the earth and foliage at the scene of the murder. Mute evidence of the brave battle for life the victim had waged against the bestial sexual attacker who almost severed her head from her well-developed body during the dreadful assault in which she was manhandled before being killed. Victim of the murder was Ivy Alexandra Mitchell, 12 years old. Her killer was Ernest Austin, otherwise known as Johnson, a native of Victoria where he had been convicted of a previous sex crime. It was a beautiful sunny winter's morning on June 8th when Ivy Mitchell kissed her father and mother goodbye on the Sanford Creek Road at 10.30 on that tragic Sunday. She was going to spend the day with a Mrs Frisch, some three miles away. Her parents delayed on the veranda of their farmhouse for a while to watch their daughter on her way with happy smiles. They waved in return to Ivy's goodbye waves. They watched their child disappear down the bush road. Never again were they destined to see her alive. The little girl spent an enjoyable day at the home of Mrs Frisch. She started on her homeward journey about 4.30 in the afternoon. She was carrying a bunch of flowers and a packet of sweets, gifts of Mrs Frisch. On the way home, she stopped to speak to a school friend by the name of Sarah. Apart from the murder of the girl, Smith was the last person to see her alive. When Ivy did not arrive home at six o'clock that evening, her brother James went with a lantern to look for her, and subsequently her father went and joined his son in the search for the girl. They went as far as Smith's where they'd learned that Ivy had passed over an hour before. Retracing their tracks and examining the ground carefully, they found footprints of naked little feet and large boots going side by side, leading into the scrub. Their fears for the girl's safety were quickly aroused and they sought others' help. Hurried messages were sent to other neighbours and the police in Brisbane and by 12.30 that night, detectives from the city were conducting investigations. The searchers, following the footmarks into the bush, came upon the cruelly mutilated body of the murdered girl lying in a pool of blood. It was a sickening sight which was revealed by the light of the hurricane lamps. Nearby was a bunch of flowers and a broken packet of sweets strewn about. Close to the body was a riding whip. The girl's body had been horribly torn about. The head had been practically hacked from the neck by some sharp instrument, presumably a knife. There was all the evidence that a grim struggle had taken place and the girl had offered strong resistance to the killer. Evidently, the girl screamed, but her cries had been unheard. It's pretty pretty horrible, isn't it? Mm. And I just, I look at that last part and um, the girl screamed, but her cries were unheard. I wonder if she was heard as that banshee. Mm. Yeah. It's that that residual 
Oh, sound of the forlorn. So this is why the devil would not take his soul because he was so horrific. The crime he committed was so horrific that even Satan didn't want him. Mm. And that's why they've got the whole story about him collecting the souls before he would be allowed into hell. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the problems with this ghost that haunts the jail is that he's in the wrong area. He's supposed to, he's said to be in Division 2, but he never set foot in that wing. In 1913, when he was executed, Number 2 Division was actually a prison for women. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, again, what we were talking before, if he was just residual, he would be wherever yes. that building was. But uh, he is seen in Division 2, so who knows. But they also talk about, the old-timers talk about um, that ghost appearing to them all throughout the jail collecting souls. So I suppose that could be a reason why he is wandering around. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but the other thing is the old-timers would love to torment the new people coming in. Yes. And they would make up stories or embellish stories, or know the sounds of the jail and could turn it into a story that would terrify Mm -hmm. a young man that was coming into that jail. And we have one at Maitland Jail exactly like that. We do? Satan cell. Oh, we do. Satan cell, of course. Uh, Yeah, but I, I just thought it was important to read her story. I don't know why I was compelled to do that, but I really felt the need to do that. So that's why we put the warning at the beginning of this show, because of that particular thing. Now, I have been there. Yes. It's um, a really well-run tour, but it is ghost stories. They do not like paranormal investigators investigating. Uh, the, the As I said before, the a lot of these stories are coming from Jack Sim who has collected them, mm-hmm. but that's his job as a historian to mm-hmm. collect that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do run, when it's not locked down, they run tours uh on Thursday night, Friday night they have two tours, Saturday night they have three tours, Sunday night they have a tour. So that's a lot at $45 for a two-hour tour, which I think is quite a reasonable price. Yes. Now, Sam, who is the other tour guide, is very honest. He said he's experienced nothing, mm-hmm. had absolutely nothing happened to him, but he has had a lot of people on the tours with him that have experienced things. A woman was grabbed on the shoulder and the woman blamed him for grabbing her on the shoulder trying to scare her. Mm-hmm. And he's going, no, I didn't touch you. And she, like, she was starting to get really angry and worked up and apparently her friend said, no, I was watching. He never touched you. Mm-hmm. So that that was something that happened very close to him and scared the life out of him <laughs> because he was going to get in trouble. Uh, but there was one other thing I wanted to read for you. And and this is something I really wanted to, to point out before I read this. Um, they say that with the ghost tours that they run there, they don't incorporate guests' experiences. They are reporting stories that have been told by the prison guards Mm -hmm. and the people who worked there Mm -hmm. and the people who are incarcerated there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what turned it around for me because I I thought – I always get suspicious when they're basing their ghost stories on psychics and mediums who have come to the jail and told them what they perceive is there. 
That's true. That that always bugs me because you just don't know the ability of the person who has told you that story. So the fact that they're taking it from the warders and the prisoners gives me hope. Mm-hmm. First person stories, they yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, so even though it is Jack that is collecting them all, I, I think he is just a very passionate person about that location um, and we have to take his word for it mm-hmm. because the prisoners and the warders don't want to be named. Mm-hmm. So we can't collaborate what they've told. Yeah. Anyway, there was some prisoner graffiti and I wanted to read it out to you. Look at me now, screw, and remember. Remember when I pluck out your eyes and crush them in my fist Give you a seeing eye dog to see with. Look at me now, dog eyes. Look at me now. Isn't that just creepy? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, there were some lovely people in that, that prison. Yeah, yep. So I've been, it certainly has a creepy vibe to it. I can't say I experienced anything paranormal. I thought it was a beautifully run tour and um, they've collected the history and they've maintained it really well. It is something I would love to take you on. Mm -hmm. So what do you reckon? Is this a haunted, a true haunting or not? I think, look, and because we've worked at a jail ourselves, um, we're kind of a little bit biased here. Mm. So I I would give it a benefit of the doubt. I would love to go in and check it out for myself. Well, next time we're up in Queensland, we'll have to take Connor and Zach and everyone up there. I know. We'll take Josh and Sam and, yeah, we'll all go visit the jail together. What do you reckon? I'm sure they're just, they can't wait. Our bag's pushing Zach through the door (laughs) first. (laughs) Now, before before we finish up, uh, I just want to mention, because I did remember this, uh, it came through during the week. And uh, we not long ago did a story on the Gyra ghost. Oh, we did. And lo and behold, this week comes through a comment on that story. And it is a comment from a living member of the family. I know. I was just which in awe. so exciting. Wow. <laughs> and she mentioned that the house still stands. Mm-hmm. And that family members still remember the stories. Of Auntie Minnie. Of Auntie Minnie. And I would so love more information. It'd be fabulous. So thank you for passing on that information. You really made our day. Absolutely. And and look, we, we offer this to anyone. If, if you are out there and you are sitting on a story or you are connected with any of the stories that we mentioned, the Australian ones um, or even the overseas ones, and you have more information that would put more light onto these sites or onto these personal stories, please get in contact with us. We would love to change stories if we have to or to validate stories by you reaching out to us. And we have an addendum. addendum. Yeah, we absolutely <laughs> offer this. So thank you. And thank you for joining us on this week's episode of True Hauntings. You know the deal, guys. Make sure you subscribe to us. Find us on YouTube, Anne and Renata, TikTok or on Facebook. We're in everything you can think of. Instagram, please share it around. Share the love so that we can continue to make more episodes for you guys. So thank you so much and we'll see you on The the Dark dark side. Side. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, 
give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.